Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. What's more important, Good Friday or Easter Sunday? I think most of us Christians would say we need both, right? You, you can't have the joy of Christ's resurrection if you don't have the sorrow of his passion and death. So we need both of these. And I think we as Catholics would admit that the the Easter celebration is the the triumph. It's the climax of the story of Christ, of course. We, we would give special attention to Easter. But in the way we live, in our spiritual lives, I don't know about you, but do you do this? You know, Easter is exciting. I love Easter and, and even the first week of Easter. Because, you know, I, I'm getting the chocolate I didn't eat all of Lent and I'm having a good beer, a, a good glass of wine that I gave up during Lent. And, you know, I, I get pretty excited in the first week of Easter. And then the rest of the weeks, I, I kind of fall back into ordinary time. It just gets very ordinary. Do you do that? You know, think about Lent. You know, Lent, we give all this special attention, right? We, we, we make uh, an intentional plan. We, we make resolutions. We give up something. We do de- extra devotions. We make extra time for prayer. We join a Lenten Bible study. We do these things in Lent, right? Did you join an Easter Bible study this Easter? Do you have special Easter devotions you're doing? Uh, do we really enter into the joy of this Easter season? Do we understand why the resurrection is so important? I think that's a, a big question. I think a lot of Christians get Jesus died for my sins, but, and yet he rose from the dead. So he, he, he conquers death, I guess. Yeah, that's important. But, but could they articulate to others? Could you explain to your friends, to your children, why the resurrection is so important, how it, it works, how it affects our salvation? I think St. Paul would be thrilled if we really entered into the season of Easter well. Do you remember what St. Paul said? He said, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. That's how important the resurrection is. Do we understand it? Can we explain to others? Did you know that if Jesus, all he did was die for our sins? That would be a really good thing. We'd have a restored friendship with God, a right relationship with God, but we wouldn't necessarily have eternal life with him. We wouldn't have eternal union with God. We would not have the divine life of God dwelling within us. We would not be his sons and daughters in the family of God. Uh, that, That comes with the resurrection. We need more than just Jesus's death. We need his rising over death and giving us new life. And that's what I want to talk about in this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sri. And once again, I want to welcome any new listeners just joining us. Thanks for being with us today. And uh, happy Easter to everyone. It's still the Easter season. You know, I have to say here in Denver, it has not felt like Easter. <laughs> uh, and that's not just because of COVID and being, you know, uh, in in lockdown mode here in Colorado. It's uh, it's actually just the weather. I mean, I'm used to Easter season coming and it's spring and I want to be outdoors. I want to celebrate. And, uh, and it's been like winter ever since Easter started. It's like the Chronicles of Narnia, always winter and never Christmas here. Uh, it, we've had one snowstorm after another, after another this last week. Uh, but Christ is still risen from the dead. And that's what I want to focus on, our Easter joy and how we can practice that Easter joy. And and the heart of it is really understanding what the resurrection is really all about. As I mentioned, you know, St. Paul's line, you know, if Christ is not risen from the dead, that our our faith is in vain. Why, Why is the resurrection so important? 
I want to pull out a couple of things in our tradition that highlight the importance of the resurrection, and I'm going to focus on one of them the most. But you know, first of all, the resurrection is important because it's a confirmation of all of Christ's works and teachings. Everything that he taught, everything that he did his entire life receives a, a great confirmation that, oh yeah, I think I better follow this this person. <laughs> uh, he, he's the one who rose from the dead. And why, why is that so important? Because I think a second point is that the resurrection also uh, confirms Christ's divinity. He claimed to be God. He acted as if he was God. And then you see him rising from the dead, which is so different than, you know, there are other people that came back to life. You know, there's people in the Old Testament that came back to life. Uh, There's uh, in the New Testament, of course, Jesus raises people from the dead. Lazarus, for example, they they were, they, they came back to earthly life but they're going to die again. <laughs> that, that's the thing about all the other people. Jesus, what Jesus experiences is utterly unique. He experiences resurrection. Uh, he is, he is, his body has been changed. It's glorified now. So it's the same body, but do you notice that in the scriptures, how people don't recognize it at the same way he looked before? I mean, they kind of do, but they kind of don't. Like Mary Magdalene's a little confused. She thinks Jesus is a gardener at first. And then Jesus speaks her name, Mary, and then he realizes, oh, who it is, Rabboni, you know? And so it's the same Jesus, but he looks a little differently. Same thing with those disciples on the road to Emmaus. I mean, Jesus is walking with them (laughs) for a long time, you get a sense, unpacking the scriptures. And they don't hear his voice the same way. They don't see him the same way. So he's, it's the same Jesus. They do recognize him at the breaking of the bread at that moment in the Emmaus Road story, but, but he's different. There's something different about him. You know, he, he shows the apostles his hands and his feet. He has Thomas touch his sides. You can touch him. It is the same Jesus, but he's different. He tells Mary Magdalene, but don't cling to me. I've I've not yet ascended to the father. So you can touch Jesus, but don't cling to him because he's, his glorified body has to be ascended into heaven. So it's the same body of Jesus, but it's a different body. There's something, there's something different about him. So the the resurrection of Jesus points to his divinity, it, which is a confirmation also of all of his works, all of his teachings. It fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies. But the part I want to really zoom in on today is how the resurrection affects our salvation. It's not enough for Jesus to die for our sins. And it's hard to say that because his death for us, you know, I, I bet many of you watched Mel Gibson's film sometime over Lent, maybe on Good Friday, maybe sometime during Holy Week. And remember Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ, and you see just how how horrifying all of the suffering was that Jesus endured uh, on Good Friday. And he did that for us. He did that for our sins. And so don't get me wrong. This is, you know, uh, amazing. It's the most perfect act of love that any human person has offered because it it was from the sinless, innocent one, the one who is love himself and who was rejected and persecuted and crucified in this way. He offers his entire life, making an infinite gift of love to the father. Good Friday is, is beautiful, but it's not enough. It's not enough because if all Jesus did was die for our sins, again, sin would be dealt with. We'd we'd have a a right relationship with God again, but we wouldn't necessarily have heaven. (laughs) This is what the catechism brings out in, in catechism article 654, I'll refer you to. It talks about how the whole paschal mystery, the redemptive plan of God has two aspects. By his death, 
Christ liberates us from sin, but by his resurrection, he opens for us the way to a new life. I think that's important for us to see here. So the death of Christ liberates us from sin. He conquers the devil. He conquers sin. We are free from sin. Why? Because he offers a gift of love to the Father on our behalf. An infinite gift of love because he's the infinite son of God. He can offer a gift of love that none of us could ever offer to God. I could give God my money. I could give God the library of my books. I could give God my house. I could give him my car. I can give him all these things, but those are just finite things. I could even give him my own life. I could sacrifice my life and die as a martyr. And then I think God and the angels would be pleased if I was faithful to that extreme. But but that still remains a finite gift because I'm just a finite creature. I owe God everything my entire life already. What Jesus does is on a whole different scale because Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is the all holy, all good son of God who took on human flesh so he can represent us. He can offer a gift of love on our behalf, but his gift of love has infinite value because of who he is as the holy infinite one. (laughs) So his gift of love is so much more valuable than if Edward III was crucified on a cross or if you were crucified on a cross, right? So, So Good Friday is amazing. He offers a gift of love on our behalf to make amends, to set things right. And that's what we want to do. And when we hurt someone, we, we, we hurt a relationship, we want to offer a gift. We want to do something to make amends, to say sorry, to do an act of service, a gesture, uh, to, to hug the person or buy them a gift. We want to do something to set things right in our relationship with them. And it's a wonderful thing. That's what Jesus does for us on Good Friday. But that's not enough. It, it would get us to be in a right relationship with God. Our relationship had been strained. There was, there was tension in our relationship with God because of our sins. Now Jesus offers this act of love on our behalf, which sets us in a right relationship. But that doesn't mean we are adopted in his family. I mean, let's just, I'm going to use an example here. I think this will make it easier. I used to use this example all the time when I, I taught at uh, undergraduate students at Benedict College. Let's just say I did something to you. I... Let's say I, I stole your computer or I, I stole your car and, and, and wrecked it completely. Um, or let's say I vandalized your house and broke several windows. <laughs> you know, let's say I just, I, I was just in a bad mood and let out all this tension. Well, you know, if I just say, sorry, I don't know if that that's enough, right? I mean, like to set a right relationship with you, you're going to be like, well, I, I, I need my car back. <laughs> you got to, you got to fix the windows on in my house that you broke. Uh, and let's say I did all that. Let's say I fixed your windows. I got you your car back. So I repaired all the damage. Even still, you're probably a little hesitant around me going, is he going to, is Edward Sree going to lose it again? <laughs> you know, uh, he really hurt me and that really hurt my family. And I, I don't, I don't know if I want to have a friendship with him. But let's just say I came to you really humbly and maybe even dropped to my knees and just said, I'm so sorry. I had this horrible thing happen that day and I lost it. I shouldn't have taken out my frustration on you. I feel so badly. Uh, I'm, I'm not only going to make amends here, I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to, you know, because of all the trouble I caused you, I'm going to get you an even better car, you know, or I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, you know, take care of these windows and I'm going to just take care of all your landscaping needs. I'm going to cut your grass and everything just for the next three years. I just want to, 
I just, I, I, I feel so bad about what I did. Your friendship's so important to me. You know, I do all the, imagine I just do all these things and I, I, I send flowers to your house every week and I'm doing all these acts of kindness to really show how important you are to me and my relationship with you is important and, and how badly I feel that I, I hurt the relationship in this tragic way. I think you'd, you'd be very, wow, appreciative of that. And, and maybe that would build up trust in the relationship. You see my sincere contrite heart. You see me really trying to, to, to show my love and care for you. And, and I think maybe we could be friends again. I hope we could. <laughs> would you be my friend still? <laughs> well, let's say I did all that. Would you necessarily, at the end of you know three years of all this act of kindness, would you then write me into your will and adopt me as you know one of your children, and you know I, I would get a share of the inheritance? W- would you do that just because we had a good relationship again? No, I mean we we'd be friends, but you're not going to write me into your will. <laughs> uh, this is language from Scripture, my friends. When we read about what God does for salvation. He wants to adopt us as his children, and he has a great inheritance for us. It's called heaven, eternal life. And and he wants to fill us with the life of his son. He wants to fill us with the son's spirit, the Holy Spirit. He wants to transform our hearts with grace. And what Jesus does on Good Friday, he dies for our sins to offer a gift of love, to set things right. He really does that. It's amazing. But what he does in that act is is not the completion of what he wants to do. He's going to rise from the dead to give us new life so we can have the inheritance, so we can be adopted as his sons and daughters. That's what the catechism goes on to explain. It says, by his resurrection, he opens for us the way to a new life. This new life is above all justification that reinstates us in God's grace. It brings about filial adoption, so that we become God's children. Like the life of the son of God, Jesus is really now dwelling within us. That's why one of the first things the risen Jesus says in the scriptures, do you remember what he says to Mary Magdalene? He tells Mary Magdalene, go and tell my brethren to meet me, my brethren. He calls the apostles brethren, brothers and sisters. Why? Because now that he's risen from the dead, their hearts, their souls can be filled with his very life. They, they, they have the life of Christ dwelling within them. Uh, and so they really are going to become sons of the Father, sons in the life of the Son, Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus dwelling within us. When the Father sees us now because of our baptism and the grace that comes forth from the resurrection, he sees, he sees his own Son in us. And so we really become, as the, as the ancient uh, tradition it describes it, as sons in the Son. You know, we, we become sons in the Son of God himself. So I think this is, this is a beautiful point for us to, to ponder in this Easter week, all that Jesus has done for us. He hasn't just died for our sins. He's risen from the dead. I'd like to close with a reflection on one Old Testament figure that I think prefigures Jesus's resurrection the most and really tells us about this new life and really the fruit it bears for the world. Uh, And it may not be who you think. You might be thinking of someone like Adam prefiguring Jesus's death and resurrection, or maybe Abraham and Isaac or Moses. But I want to talk about the prophet Jonah, the prophet Jonah. You see, he's the one that Jesus draws attention to the most. Remember when the Pharisees ask 
Jesus for a sign. He says, you're not going to get any sign except the prophet Jonah, the sign of the prophet Jonah. And we may wonder about this. You know, why is Jonah the one that's brought to the forefront here? If you've ever been to Rome, maybe you visited the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo's amazing works of art. Everyone always talks about the last judgment scene or the creation of Adam. And I want to talk about how Michelangelo depicts the prophet Jonah, because I think it tells us about his central importance in the Old Testament prefiguring the resurrection. You know, if you walk into the Sistine Chapel, you look up in the ceiling and what do you see? You see the story of creation. You see the story of the creation of Adam in the in the in the in the ceiling. And you see Jesus, you know, or the Father putting his finger out and touching the finger of Adam and giving Adam life. That famous image of Michelangelo. But one thing that you see is then uh, Michelangelo depicts on the ceiling the fall, the first sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. And from that moment on man, all of the pictures that are the stories of Adam and the fall and Cain and Abel and Noah and the, and the ark, as you move on the ceiling and you keep watching the story unfold from Genesis 3 through 11, you see the figures get smaller and smaller and smaller. Michelangelo is trying to make a point that once Adam and Eve sin, humanity has lost something of its great glory, uh, that we get smaller when we sin. And as sin multiplies in, in the book of Genesis, you see in the ceiling of Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, the figures get smaller and smaller. But then when you look at the side of the ceiling, the side upper part of, of the uh, Sistine Chapel, he's got the 12 prophets depicted, the ones that foreshadow the coming of Christ. Six on the left, six on the right-hand side of the, the ceiling walls. And um, what you see there are the prophets getting bigger and bigger and bigger as they go down the, the wall. And then they all converge on one prophet figure that is above the famous image of the last judgment. And that is the image of the prophet Jonah. He's the biggest of all the prophets. And the idea is that as you are walking through the prophets, as you walk through salvation history, as you get closer and closer to Christ, it's pointing to how humanity is going to be given its glory again through Jesus and his death and resurrection. Well, Jonah is a central figure, but why is his story so important? Why is he the one Jesus singles out in terms of the kind of sign they're going to get? I mean, I get it, right? There's the three days in the belly of the whale, like three days in the belly of the earth. Okay, there's a parallel there, but we're still left wondering, what's the connection? Did, did Jonah really go into a belly of the whale? for three days and he just hung out there and made a little campfire or what did he do in the, in the belly of the whale for three days? How did he stay alive? What was fascinating is if you read the biblical story, just read Jonah chapter two and three, it's very clear that Jonah died. Jonah died in the belly of the whale. If you, again, just read the story. It's very, very clear. I, I was, I, I came across this with my good friend, Brant Petrie, you may be familiar, a wonderful biblical scholar. I remember him pointing this out and it was just like, it's just so, so, so awesome to see, you know, that Jonah actually died. If you read in Jonah, the book of Jonah chapter two, the belly of Sheol, that's where Jonah goes. And he's swallowed by the whale. He goes to the belly of Sheol, which is the land of the dead. I mean, in other words, he died. <laughs> he goes down into the pit, it says. And again, that's other biblical language describing death, going to the land of the dead. Jonah says, my soul fainted within me. That's biblical language, a soul fainting. It's the idea of like giving up your spirit. So Jonah died, and then the whale vomits the body of Jonah out. 
and so Jonah's body is spit up, his corpse up onto the shore. And then God speaks to the body and says, arise, go to Nineveh. The language there, arise, is the same language Jesus uses to command the dead to come to life. Like Jairus's daughter, remember that? Uh, she was dead and then Jesus comes and speaks to her, arise, arise. That's what, that's what the father says to Jonah here, arise and go to Nineveh and proclaim my word there. Now, the most amazing part of the story is the, the risen Jonah goes to Nineveh, which is the, the center of the pagan empire of Assyria. I mean, the, the last thing you would expect is a conversion of Nineveh. They'd be like, you know, in our modern day, we might say the conversion of Las Vegas or something, you know. Uh, but Nineveh, you know, this pagan city, the, the center of the Assyrian pagan empire has a conversion because of the preaching of Jonah, the risen Jonah. Does this all sound familiar? Jesus will give up his spirit on Good Friday. Jesus experiences death, but he is risen from the dead. And from his resurrection comes forth this new life that we celebrate this Easter season. And it was this new life that we have in Jesus Christ that Paul and Peter and the other apostles proclaimed to the ends of the earth. And through their proclamation of the risen Christ, what happens? The new pagan city, Rome, and its empire converts. This is the power of the resurrection. This is the power of Christ's life. This is why we want to celebrate Easter this season, because following the pattern of Jonah and following the pattern of Jesus, the new Jonah, if our lives are conformed to the risen Christ, if we allow his life to shape us and change us ever more, then we will be light in this world of present darkness. We will have a, an impact in helping bring about the conversion of our own pagan world in which we're living today. So I think there's, there's a lot to celebrate here in the Easter season. Let us remember and tell Jesus, let us thank him in these days for his resurrection. One beautiful thing we can do throughout the Easter season is read those gospel accounts. Just read the last chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The last chapters of those gospels tell us about the resurrection. We should ponder those chapters. I, I encourage you to read those sections of the catechism around 651 through 656, around there especially. That Those would be great passages just to contemplate the mystery of the resurrection. But one of the best things to do in the Easter season is to really follow the apostles, all these New Testament readings at the daily masses for the next, for this whole 50 days of, of Easter are all about the work of Christ's resurrection being made manifest through the apostles. The apostles now filled with the risen Christ will raise the dead. They will heal the sick. They will, they will go to prison and be liberated from prison. But most of all, they will proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. So, Watch the power of the resurrection through the apostles by reading Acts and praying through Acts the Apostles this Easter season. Thanks for listening, my friends. You can always reach out to me with any questions or comments at edwardsri.com. Uh, you can get the show notes. If you are new and you haven't subscribed to the show notes, uh, check them out. You can go to ascensionpress.com slash all things Catholic. I'm so grateful for my friends at Ascension who put together this podcast each week and help promote it. So go to ascensionpress.com slash all things Catholic and you can get those show notes in your inbox each week with a little more detail and background on the topics we discuss. And again, as always, you can always reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Instagram. God bless.